0: Hey, this is Ross Payton with Rural Blind Public Radio. This is uh, RPPR Game Designers Workshop at GenCon 2019. Yay! <laughs> uh, and with me this year is uh, Caleb Stokes. Hello. Thank um, you, hey, you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, creator did of Red Markets and has freelanced for various games and is currently working on God's Teeth for <laughs> Delta Green. Yep. Um, not Teeth of God. Uh, Nope, not the not
1: the thing I named it. (laughs) The thing you renamed it. Yep, you Uh, monster.
0: I'm helping you with marketing. Uh huh. Uh, And next up, we have Jeff Barber, uh, creator of Blue Planet and Upwind, currently working on a new edition of Blue Planet. Um, Slogging through. Slogging through. Uh, And if uh, you have the postcard, the quick Quick Start rules for Blue Planet Recontact have been uh, released today. Um so scan the
2: code on the back and you can download the yeah. uh, primer.
0: It's got everything you need to play. Um it has our biohazardgames.us for those listening. Later. Uh I assume. Actually I... it's
2: going through drive through but they okay. They get a link there.
0: Yeah, yeah, they get the link there. So um and I'm Ross Payton, I'm rolling here, creator of base raiders. Um I've also worked on Red Markets. Um, I've also worked on Upwind. Uh, I just work on other people's games a lot, it turns out. Uh, my Some of my work writing in uh, Clipsface 2nd Edition, which is released here today at Gen Con. Yay! yay. Um, which I'm really excited to see. Uh, Trabo is coming out. Is
1: yep, it, it's out. It's, it's out. It's at the IGDN booth. Yes.
0: Yay! <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Just just
2: general yay.
0: Yeah, yeah, general yays. Uh, game design. So. Um, we'll talk a little bit about what we're currently working on uh, each, and then we'll f- most of this panel will be questions for all of you. You're the ones uh, who presumably came here to like, get talk about game design, get better ideas, work through problems, that kind of thing. So, um, I mean, any one of us could just ramble on for an hour on game design, more than an hour on game design, but we want this to be productive for you. Uh, cause you came all the way here at Gen Con!
2: More yay! Uh,
0: yay! Uh, so, um, just, stop. just stop. I'm just happy. There's too many yays, man. No. It's the opening of Gen Con. <laughs> we gotta, we gotta build that momentum.
1: Right. we're all gonna right. be dead on our feet by Saturday. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah. More yays will cure that. <laughs> it won't be the many nights of drinking or anything like that. <laughs> uh,
0: so, um... I'll start because I, I don't have as much probably as you two because, you know, you're both working on much larger projects right now. Uh, I am just finished a book for Upwind recently, Three Beasts, a campaign that was a very, very much a slog to write through for a variety of reasons. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly my own issues, not, not anything. Uh, Upwind is a more challenging game to write for than yeah. I anticipated. Technically
2: but. someone's supposed to be editing that and getting it back to you, but I'm not sure who that is. Yeah. <laughs> At some point,
0: Uh, it is a mystery. Um, So I'm right now sort of at a crossroads. I don't know what I want to be working on next. Um, There are some freelance things that I am waiting to hear back about. Uh, So if those come through, I'll do that. But if not, um, I am, of course, still working on Ruin uh, Ruin, though, I have no ETA because I'm trying to create a lot of interesting and new game mechanics and those are hard to play test. I'm, I'm pretty close to being done with character generation, I think, so I can move on to you know the rest of the game. Uh, slight amount of work there. Uh, but I might... Uh, I'm also thinking about doing a new edition of Base Raiders. Uh, people have really over, you know, it was released like five years ago, Jesus. Five um, this yeah, definitely. Yeah. Thanks. Um, <laughs> and people really love the setting. Uh, but of course, there, there have been some complaints over the years. The biggest one being, you know, power creation being sort of a mess. Um, and so I've been looking at newer versions of Fate that have come about since Space Raiders has been created. Um, and I'm thinking about like taking some of those and modifying them to make them more streamlined, more easy to learn uh, power creation system um, and just kind of continue on and expanding the base Raiders lore. I'm probably going to do the eclipse phase thing where I don't change the, the, the setting chronologically, but I go into different areas. Because, uh, you know, Base Raiders is infinite, can be as infinitely weird and complex as you want it to be. Uh, that's the fun part about it. Uh, I do know I want to put Cool Rat uh, from uh, my. Cool Rat? Yeah, the fa- fan favorite character from my book, uh, Road Trip for Monsters and Other Childish Things, into Base Raiders. Uh, so that will definitely happen. Um, mm-hmm. Also put in some other things that I thought were neat in various uh media like stands uh slash personas from you know JoJo or you know persona. because uh, <laughs> those are cool. Yeah, can't, it, it actually fits perfectly with Base Raiders. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, um, I'm also working on a small game right now, uh, I'm, I'm also kind of stuck on it called, uh, the working title right now is Bullet Lich and so it's like what if John Wick was a lich um, and still shot people with guns but like someone had his phylactery and uh, so obviously you're this bullet lich and you're trying to get your phylactery back from your patron uh, without betraying your code of honor. Um, and. So, that's the central dynamic I want to do with that, and I, I, I yeah, now I realize I want to make it, like, a, rough, a fun sort of, not quite rules-like, but, like, something you can fit in a zine, um, and have really fun combat, so, uh, yeah, that's as far as I've gotten, so I haven't had a lot of time in the last month or two to work on it, so that's where I am in game design, um, Jeff, you've got the biggest thing coming out right now, uh, Well, in so terms of, that, well, today.
2: So, yeah, um... Upwind is finally fulfilled. Yay. Hopefully some of you got yours, and hopefully those that are expecting it already got it. We've had some hangups with it. So that was really good. We've got a couple of outstanding digital delivery stretch goals, and those are still in the works. Um, like three beasts. Three beasts. It should be done soon. Um, but the big news is um, we're doing a new edition of The Planet. For those of you that aren't familiar with it, it's a hard sci-fi game that takes place on Earth's first colony planet. It was first published in 1997, so it might be older than some of you. Um, Yeah, Uh, and uh, it has had a second edition and a second edition revised, but we're going into an actual third edition now um, with a a rule set that, you can see the genetics from the most recent rule set, but it is very much um, evolved into a, um, towards the narrativist, narrativist end of the spectrum while maintaining the, sort of harder elements that a hard science fiction setting kind of demands, Um, and we're pretty pleased with the way it's come out. Um, We're running a bunch of demos here at the show, um, and I already know there's a couple of spots that opened up, if anyone's interested, you can come participate with the um, IGDN game room. Um, But yeah, I'd be happy to talk with Blue Planet, about Blue Planet to anybody that's interested. Yeah, I've played
0: it. Uh, Jeff ran a couple games online earlier this year, and it was really fun.
2: Yeah, um, you're in the basic uh, the initial playtest for the new system. You're, you're part of, yeah.
0: Ooh, cool.
2: Uh, and Caleb, hey, um,
1: uh, we just released three supplements for Red Markets. They're all at the IGDN booth. Um, Sean Ferris's Veblen Goods and Elevation, and then Ross's Trabajo. Um, so my next Red Market thing will be more uh, stretch goal fulfillment. Uh, Supplement releases that all the backers will get, um, but you know, we just pushed three out the door in one summer, so um, Started fresh with that haven't commissioned art yet uh, So I'll be working on that for Red Markets. I'm currently freelancing for art dream uh, writing the campaign God's teeth and uh, As for my own game uh, I've, I've play tested it. It seems pretty close So ready to go i don't know about you Rust. i I just the basic rules work for my new game called dr witch doctor Mm uh which is a short little um i wouldn't quite call it a micro game but it's like an hour or two hour play yeah um it's the melodramatic medical mystery uh because i want the acronym to be dwd Mm. Mm -hmm. uh and it is a um rules light story game but it is actually requires diagnostic work like you actually do deduction games uh as you're doing a medical drama but uh you and the person playing the patient don't know what disease you have you only have a list of symptoms and then a full list of the diseases it could be Um, one side of which is super and the other side is natural so you can have teeth ghosts or uh, you know, lycanthropy intestine. Like, oh crap! I got wolf intestines now. That's not good. Wolf guts. Yeah, wolf guts. Those aren't compatible. Um, uh, and then you're uh, trying to solve this wacky uh, supernatural medical mystery. Um, so I've got a D20 list of <coughs> super symptoms and natural systems. We've run off that, uh, but I want it to be a D100 list. So it's like absolute mess. And the goal is eventually, if I kickstart it. To make it app driven so that even the person playing the patient has no idea what they are but it's just a role-playing game where they have to you guys ever do those studies where you have to play to be a sick person for medical students for money mm-hmm. it's like that but for fun
2: um
1: <laughs> like and, and you, you pay, pay me to do it which would be <laughs> optimal um,
0: <laughs> yeah
1: uh so i'm working on that but i'm freelancing at the same time so uh, well, I think the rules are done. Uh, that list is actually pretty hard to come up with the, the way I've structured it. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm picking at it when I can, but it'll it'll be once the big list is done. I think it's ready to go. So
0: yeah, uh, we've done a couple of play tests. You'll probably play test it here. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah I'll probably uh, play
0: test. So hang out for the RPP or live and all yeah, that it stuff. Ta- it
1: yeah. takes index cards and like poker chips to play it. So you yeah. don't even have a character sheet. So yeah,
0: yeah. no, it's I could. It's it's been really fun. Um, you should definitely get Jeff to play it too. So. Yeah.
1: Wasn't Tom's surgeon addicted to gamma rays or something? Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, you can make up your own addictions. No. Uh, yeah, it's, so yeah,
1: it's, it's Grey's Anatomy if it was a cartoon. Well, more of a cartoon. Yeah.
3: Does it have more sex or less
1: sex? It, it's up to you. Yeah. To let, do what you feel.
0: Yeah. it um, yeah. <laughs> It could be. It's actually <laughs> on the table, isn't it? I haven't put lupus on there yet. You sent one a, of these yes. games. Uh, Where's lupus? <laughs> where lupus? <like>, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> know what that is. Um, yeah, so that's where we're all at in terms of our work as game designers. Um, but yeah, so this is where you all have questions for us to like pontificate about game design um, because this is what. This panel is about like uh, is anybody working on a game? Does anybody uh, want to work on a game? Uh, is anybody trying to get something from playtesting to completion to Kickstarter to Patreon now? Because there are game designers who do their work on Patreon, which I find real interesting. Um, as they're doing like a chapter a month or something like that or per item stuff? Um, yeah. Uh, I guess back. One question would be how to begin. Like i con- I. You know, I have a creative mind and I
1: mm-hmm. you know, just kind of think of ideas, but
0: mm-hmm. that's kind of where they all are at the ideas. Sure. Um, what kind of game do you, do you know what kind of game you want to make, like a role playing game, a board You're game? It be a
1: role playing game. Okay. Um, I got an idea of
3: like what I want it to be about,
1: Yeah.
0: but
3: that's it. So I guess the first point is, you know, you know taking what I want it to be about mm-hmm. and deciding what rule system would best suit
0: Um yeah, yeah, so when you're starting a role-playing game, you have uh, obviously a lot of options. Um, right now, we are fortunate that there are multiple systems that you can just copy and use. Uh, the, these are often Creative Commons or Open Game License uh, systems, uh, the biggest of which, of course, are D20 um and then fate i think would probably be the second one but they're, apocalypse they're, world apocalypse world um blades in the dark which but yeah is forge in the dark yeah, is forge the, the dark. uh so if you want to, if your game concept would fit in one of those frameworks because system matters um you know a d20 game necessarily like a, a po- you know something where players have a lot of narrative control uh if that's something you're you're interested in um uh, you may want to try fate or powered by the apocalypse but if you want a more like tactical combat kind of thing, maybe a D20 would be based. Uh, your other option, of course, is making your own system. Um, now, game mechanics cannot be copyrighted. You can only copyright the exact wording of a game mechanic. So you could always say, roll a die that is 20-sided, and then add a number to it, and that is your attack value or whatever. And so, like, you can't uh, so you can basically copy or take similar ideas from games and uh, make it into your own. Um, so for you, for the very first thing is just trying to like first see if people like the idea. Like are people like the best thing, the first thing I do when I design a game is like think of what the elevator pitch is. And the elevator pitch is like you're in an elevator with big shot company man and he can get you a publisher. And he and he or she can get your. They don't exist. Don't we? They don't exist. This is a very tier fan. Yeah, uh, you only have the elevator ride to pitch them on your game, uh, and so like, w- what in one minute can you pitch your game uh, idea and like get somebody interested in it? Because the, the your elevator pitch is also your Kickstarter pitch, essentially is your or your Patreon pitch, or just like, hey, play my game. Uh, so uh, it's a shortest sentence you would have to say to get someone interested. Yeah. Um, so like for base raiders it's superhero dungeon crawling like like it's you're all breaking into the Batcave or the Fortress of Solitude and stealing everything you can so you can use it yourself or sell it on the black market and that's it and it's very basic concept. Um, do you have an elevator pitch for your game yet? Sorry.
3: Sure.
0: Okay. Do you want to share it with us? Uh, no. Like- <laughs> <laughs> okay. No worries. Um, so that's where I would start and then try and like run a few playtests and like figure out what kind of mechanics you want to do for it. Um,
2: but yeah. I would, uh, can I add something real quick? Mm-hmm. Um, a suggestion I always find useful is if you're more into the setting and that's kind of where your the genesis of your idea came, just pick a rule set that you think might work and run your setting for some people and then see how that goes and how that feels. And if it's more of the mechanics that you've created, um, just borrow a setting. But just try it, right? Before you spend too much time writing and kind of Gronk the details, just try it out, see how how it goes and where it leads you. Yeah. That's how Base Raiders came
0: about. Yeah, basically. It was a, yeah, Base Raiders started as a wild talents campaign. And then I'm like, can I use wild talents uh, to write my own game? And they never answered me at Archery. So I'm like, <laughs> I guess it's fate now. Um so, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. So uh, anything else I had to add to that? Um no, I, I agree
1: with Jeff, like Finding where you don't like the, how that system does your setting is going to give you a list of actionable problems. Like, I don't like the way it did my centaurs for this reason, and now you have a thing to design. Yeah, um, So that's a good place to start. Otherwise, I know I'm a horrible overrider, so this is obviously going to lead to the same problem that I have with everything I do. But um, the only way to get anything done is by mass. I have to be a hack. Like, if, I, if I'm going to think about it like... Well, if I write this, I'm going to just end up rewriting it and I'm just do that. I just don't do anything. But if I'm like, I need five pages today of just whatever I can get down, um, I think that's better than nothing. Like, you know, give yourself a, a an objective measurement of I need this, I need to write this. Like, mm-hmm. and if it doesn't work to throw it away, because most writing ends up getting thrown away, because um, that's just how it works. Uh, but if you have trouble starting, that's the only way I do it. Like, I'm going to do it for 30 minutes or I'm going to do it for this amount of space or this many words. Mm-hmm. That's the only way I keep myself uh, motivated. So. Yep. I uh, had another question back. Uh,
2: yes. Uh, okay. Let's say you have a concept and you have a game system in mind you would like to run for it, but you're terrified of it becoming just another one of the, another one of those fantasy heartbreakers you keep hearing about. Mm-hmm. How do you avoid
0: that? Uh, so the
1: question was, yeah. uh, how do you avoid the fear of I'm trying to help the yeah, listeners yeah, in radio land. Yeah. Uh, how do you avoid the fear of creating a fantasy heartbreaker? Yeah.
0: Um. I mean, one thing is, if you're just running the game, it doesn't matter, obviously. But like, um, if you're, are you talking about like at the early playtesting level, or you're talking about like I want to get this into paper and or you know I'll get into a thing that people can get
2: right. You, uh, you're. It's more than just a sort of game you run for your play. Okay. Uh, it
0: out, right. You know, well, yeah, yeah. So, um, so if you're you're wanting to get to the point where it's not just your own group, you want to get it out to the world. Uh, I mean, I, I would go again, go back to the elevator pitch and like, give run it by other people and and like people who aren't your friends, people like you know, yeah. If you're at Con, like ask designers and publishers, like, here's my pitch. Is this like just a generic fantasy heartbreaker? Like get objective, like outsider views on it. I mean, and people aren't aren't you know, and have them critique it. Um, and people aren't going to be like assholes about it. But uh, here, at least, they'll be. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they'll you'll get honest opinions uh, for the most part. So nobody's going to be super invested in like trashing or praising your work for no reason. So if uh, your
2: elevator pitch starts, it's like D and D, but yeah, and then has anything that says there's no levels or there's no classes or whatever, mm-hmm. then it's probably a fantasy heartbreaker. But that's fine, I mean, you might find an audience for it. But if you can say it's like D&D but, and then there's something new or something rich that really can't be found in other fantasy games, mm-hmm. then you're probably on the right track. And that's the thing, right? You, you know what it is to be a, a heartbreaker. Just don't be that thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, also, uh, if you're doing, like, a and d or, like, a fantasy high fantasy, quote-unquote, game, um, there, that's a huge market in and of itself. And there's people who just, like, only will ever play that type of game. But even they will want something new about it. I mean, every D&D setting is D&D, but there's horror, you know, Ravenloft. There's D&D, but there's philosophy, that, you know, Planescape. Um, and <laughs> so, like there's still a market for that if it's like something you think you know those players would really dig like there's D, but it you you have dinosaurs that you ride and they have battle platforms and you know you're basically describing dino riders but like um well i mean it's a toy line so it's going to become an rpg sooner or later <laughs> um at least a fan version of it. Uh, Just wait for any of the the yeah. retro
1: revival people to run out of better licenses. Also yeah. also if your fear of fantasy heartbreaker is it won't sell in next well playing games. It will. <laughs> like it definitely will. Uh don't worry, but like we dude I wrote a zombie game. Like my, my pitch for red markets is immediately followed by everyone hearing "eye roll" like the second I say the Z word. Like it's it's not an original concept, but you know people buy it. So yeah. Like, uh, I, 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 I think that's just you talking yourself out of doing the writing work. Like, yeah. um, cause yeah, people are going to tell you in playtesting whether it's a fantasy heartbreaker, if you're afraid of it being a fantasy heartbreaker, that means you're probably not going to write one. Like. Uh, and because as long, as long as you have that fear, you're going to use that to motivate you. That's a already a level point. of self yeah. awareness,
2: I think, that a lot of people that write Fantasy mm-hmm. Heartbreakers don't have. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. definitely. Uh, and
1: then um, lastly, if you're afraid it's like a financial thing, don't be. Like, you can write Fantasy Heartbreaker and just retire and win any's like yeah yeah it, it's not going to stop anyone from buying it who wants that thing
0: yeah yeah a lot of people do really well just writing fifth head dnd stuff so like <laughs> yeah. um and the, you can still be really creative in that space like i mean there's people doing like do interesting adventures or campaign like cities like um definitely don't like i'm going to be the one all it's going to be this great cosmic you know grand setting like people are more interested in like more bite-sized content that they can fit into their own game like a really cool city uh dungeon or whatever so like um and you can always like start small and work your way up i know a lot of settings started as just like one module and then like, like oh people really liked it and so they, they built up onto that i think freeport the the Green ronin dunn uh, started like that so yeah um but yeah again you're you're on the right track by being aware that like, oh god, there is a wrong track and I don't want to be on it. Like, yeah. The guy who did Cinnabar was, is never aware of that. Like, Raven McCracken has no idea that he's on the wrong you track. shut your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. He's a genius. Um, yeah. Uh.
3: So, let's say you have a game that's basically fully uh, kind of created. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've done lots of
0: playtesting. You've got
3: mm-hmm. maps. You've got pieces, etc. Cool. Uh, working game, you can play it start to finish, but you're looking at the objective system and you're trying to think of a creative way to kind of make a better game that feels more involved. What would be a kind of creative process that you guys would go through to kind of figure out a better method of attack? So you're trying to work another system into
1: an already functioning game?
3: Uh, No, completely created new game. Okay. Um, and so for us, we, we created a game. It's mm-hmm. a meritrash uh, giant board game. Okay, yeah. You try to just roll dice, throw at each other, but it's very card driven, mm-hmm. so you, you can create a lot of cool combos. Mm-hmm. But the premise of the game, the victory, is basically eliminating players. Mm-hmm. Oh, Which, yeah. Which, in an meritrash game, that's usually long games, two, two and a half hours, three hours. Mm-hmm. That's not fun. Yeah. No. So we're trying to look for better ways to accomplish where you feel like you're conquering, but you're not just eliminating people and being like, okay, go home or drink coffee for an hour.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a good question. So with that kind of thing, player elimination, turn skipping is a terrible mechanic. Uh, Everybody hates it. So I think you're definitely right to look for something there. Um, in regards to that though, for objective play, um, I I bet you're already doing this, but playing a lot of games certainly helps. So uh, I think of, like, Pipelines, if you've ever played Pipelines before, the valuation cards change the victory conditions every game. Like, so um, you're making this currency to win the game, but you're not eliminating anyone. But the in-game scoring is determined by these three randomly drawn cards that you have at the beginning of the game. So that's that's a good way to do an objective system because it keeps it modular, it keeps it customizable um, and with design in that regard. Um, I played a game at Metatopia that was brilliant. That was a war game. uh, And it was, it was, I forgot what it was called, but it was something like hegemony or something like that, where you were, you were all playing this giant war game, but you didn't control an army. Like you controlled every army because you were a war profiteer. Like, so you would like, you would get into battles to intentionally lose Because that was your win condition, was like, lose on this planet to get this much money. And it was very much like, so it was very interesting because you had all these different factions with different powers, but I could move anything on the board anywhere I wanted to, and the goal was to just do it in a spot where I had these uh, private tableau of objectives that were my corporate, you know, psycho agenda. Um, and it was really smart. It was, like, really, it was really intense. So that could be another thing. And, like, you could you could add a layer between your player and the army they're controlling of some sort that would make it sort of a meta conflict. Because um, there's lots of games that do that, like Blood Rage. Like, if you, if you do a Loki play in Blood Rage, you're out there to lose as much as possible, and then you win. Like, yes. you're sending, like, hey, you got 15 Vikings. I'm going to send one dude with a stick and I get all the points for you murdering the hell out of him. Like, he goes to Valhalla now. Uh, so there's lots of ways to do it, but I would think of, like, my initial impulse would be some mitigating factor between you and identifying with a faction on the board, uh, or, um, some sort of modular condition, like first one to conquer this, or first person to accrue this many dead, uh, enemies, or some sort of modular thing that that would, I don't know if that helps or not, but, yeah,
0: um, I mean a lot of games also have uh, come from behind mechanics, like um, you might also create rules that say like you can't be eliminated until the last or next to last turn. Um, and so if you get to a certain point you can reset to a certain value, so players are never too far behind. Um, there's also, yeah, like just basic things like having, changing optional goals to be like victory point based instead of elimination based. Um, do these things to get victory points, secret victory point conditions. Um, yeah, that, the, yeah. Um.
1: There's also Kingmaker stuff, so if they yeah. get eliminated, they get to come back with some crappy army that's gotta do nothing midway through the game, but Sam eliminated you, so you, Sam, and the game becomes about destroying Sam, Blue and, and then Kelly, and yeah, then Kelly Blue snakes in at so. second, because Kelly was nice to people, <laughs> like, yeah, there's uh, Kingmaker mechanics happen like that all the time, too. You, do any of you have an example of where you were, like, you know, you thought you were just about complete, but then you had to go back and redesign something, like you know, take a real critical look at what you did, and and you know, kind of start <laughs> over at some point. Yeah, every every game, okay, every <laughs> game I've ever done. Uh, I mean, I can name you the different like specific things, but. Yeah. There's always that point. Does like, it count
2: the things that are sitting on a shelf that have collected dust over the years that yeah. haven't been finished? Yeah. Yeah. A lot yeah. Of, um,
1: I, I guess let me rephrase, rephrase it like this. Um, at what point you know, in, in something you've designed do you know
0: or feel <laughs> that it's good enough? <laughs> okay. Um, let me know
2: when that happens. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah, books, are, yeah, I mean, projects aren't finished, they're abandoned, like, because of, like, necessity. Like, there's deadlines you have to meet. Um, yeah, base raiders was, oh, God. Uh, and, yeah.
2: I've done my best design after something's been published, because then you're playing and you see it and you're like,
0: why didn't I think of this one? Well, I had like yeah. yeah,
2: right? <laughs> uh, in fact, I'll, I'll, just a little anecdote. So, we just, today, released the Quick Start Guide for Blue Planet, and the process of creating that, there were things that I'm like, oh, I I wanna add this and I'm gonna do that and I'm gonna change this. Of course, this close to needing to release it, we couldn't do any of those things. But I I feel really cool because it's just a quick start guide. I can do whatever I want for the actual finished rules. So that has been an exercise I've never experienced before. The quick start guide for Upwind was done after the book was done. So um, I feel like that was a really valuable exercise, trying to get a finished product and then having the opportunity to look back at it and go, these are the things I know I'm going to change and I'm only partway through the process as it is. So that was really valuable. So try to make try to make a finished product and then see what you want to change.
1: Yeah, yeah, ash cans are really good for stuff like that because you have to put out the ash can and you're selling it, so it needs to be of a certain quality. But then you can sort of see it. But for me, it's always when I'm the only one who can see the problems. Like, if we can get through a play test and everyone's like, oh, it's pretty good or that seems ready. Or like, And I do that a couple times, I'll be like, okay. and But I, I still hate it. Like, you know, I still want to change everything. Like, I'm already thinking about uh red market second edition and things i want to change in it and stuff because that's just it but like yeah it's ready when like people can play it once or twice or, or three times and it's just like oh it's a game and they're not focused on what's changing with it um which is why presentation is important like it's not important early in the playtesting phase but eventually there comes a space where like it needs to be nice enough that people will be like oh it's a game like, and they're not just thinking, oh, we're playtesting your thing. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, because sometimes people will invent feedback they don't believe just because they feel like they need feedback. Uh,
0: well, there's one, one really important tool, uh, blind playtesting. That's when you, like, you give outside groups that you have no pr- contact with. Yeah, you're with. not
1: running it. Someone else is running it. That, they,
0: all they have is what they would get if they were actually consumers of the game. They just get the rules and the pieces for a board game. And you don't tell them anything. You don't advise them on anything. And then they send you feedback based on that. And so, like that's sort of the real crucial test. If blind playtest groups can like get through your game and have a good time, and basically like talk to them afterwards, at least if you can, and see if they actually understand the rules. Like, what are their interpretations of the rules? Um, like that—that's sort of the big test. If you can get through blind playtesting, you're in a
2: good spot. And, yeah,
0: the, their experiences match what you want them to be, you know? Yeah, like, like
2: when you send your skillet Silly Skyship game to a yeah. uh, actual play podcast and yeah. ask them to play it for you.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, when Ross playtested Red Markets, he would ask me rules questions, and I would just, like, write down what the question was and be yeah. like, so what's the answer? I'm like, what <laughs> yeah. do you? What would you think the answer was? Yeah. I can't do this. Yep. Uh, we got to see where you would go here. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, Caleb just mentioned presentation. All three of you have worked on RPGs, so that mm-hmm. segues nicely into my self-serving question. Oh, shit. <laughs> uh, obviously, no matter how good your rules are in a role-playing game, you need to present it to the people who are buying it and reading mm-hmm. it and learning it, both like in a pedagogical sense and an aesthetic one. Mm-hmm. Uh, what sections or content or objectives do you find to be really important or really effective to have in a role playing game book besides the
3: actual just rules text?
0: Um, I mean, like you should have, uh, especially if you're setting has a lot of unusual concepts, like that are not immediately understandable. Um, you should have a section that's like, here's what's unique about our game. Like Eclipse first edition has a lot of those kind of concepts. And, um they've definitely for second edition they've taken a lot of effort to make it easier to be like okay here's what forking is here's what you know egos are and that kind of thing um so yeah the the sort of x factors for your game like the 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 stuff that's not going to be shared by all settings so
1: i would say pedagogical support is more important than pretty much anything um and that's really what i mean by presentation like so for instance like if you run Dr. Witch Doctor, uh, you need this, like, list of symptoms and this list of attached disorders, and they're, punk- and they're in these groupings. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I had to make sure I had enough printouts for that for everyone to look at, So because like, the game would be received more poorly if everyone was sharing one of those. Or, like, it involved poker chips, and we didn't have poker chips, and we were just using bits of eraser around the table. Like, I, I know that it's a play test, and you shouldn't worry about you know things like presentation, art, things of that nature. But sometimes, like art layout, the fact that the writing isn't grammar checked, um, sometimes that leads to actual misunderstandings in the design of the game. And so that's the point where I think you need to be at to uh, give. It, you need you need people to actually disagree with an element of the design because the design was printed cleanly in that way, rather than. Uh, think they disagree with part of design, but what they really disagree is how you structure teaching the game. Um, so I think pedagogical, like having player aid stuff is super... So that's why I worry about Dr. Witch Doctor. I think the rules are basically there, but I want to expand the list to 200 possible diseases with like 10,000 combinations. And so now people can scan 2D20 lists, but I don't know if that's going to work at 2D100 lists. And so I need, the, I need it done, and I need to program an app for it so I can see if it runs the way I intend it to because, uh, you know, while the basic concept works, if I can't get it to execute, it
2: doesn't matter. Um, so, yeah. I'm uh, not good at that. So maybe that's an object lesson. <laughs> um, so I've learned a lot in, in the process. There's two very specific sections that I think are really valuable. One um, is a very clear character generation guide. Not just character generation mechanics, but like step one a sentence, step two, a sentence, step three, a sentence, that logically flows through the layout of the book. In fact, I got that from one of your playtests for Upway, because we didn't have it. And oh, I, yeah. oh yeah, this definitely needs that. Yeah. we got put in bullet points, yeah. yeah. Um, and then the second one, um, one of the most and only uh, sort of consistent criticisms we got of the original Blue Planet was, the setting is so huge, I don't know where to start. As a game master, I don't know where to pick up a thread and, and, and start a campaign. So for the new edition, we, you know how when you look through a lot of game books, there are archetype characters, they generated characters, they got a cool picture, and you're mm-hmm. like, oh, I can play this kind of guy, or I can play that kind of woman, or I can play whatever. Um, we're gonna do the same thing with campaigns. We're gonna have eight sort of uh, two-page spread or four-page spread mini-campaigns already structured, so you can go, oh, this is cool, law enforcement, oh, I don't want law enforcement, oh, but rebel insurgents, I'll do a rebel insurgent campaign, um, and kind of give uh, a, a nice channel for someone to get started on. Mm-hmm. I think that'll be pretty valuable. Yeah. Uh, good question. Uh, back.
1: Yeah, this is a some sort of mechanical question. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to think of a way to make a new negotiation system, uh, for RFG. And the problem with those are that players will reject the outcome. I mean, like in a combat system, they got hit points. When they're out of hit points, they sure they're done, right? But if you get in a, a conversation. It always seems to generate. Well, they'll lie, and then they'll not do what they agreed to do, or they'll pull their swords and get in the fight. So, is is there? You guys i was thinking of adding think, like another point system, but it seems kind of. Complicated. Have you Have a you looked at system of some sort where, you know, if you yeah. to your word, you, but then it just seems to grow and get out of
0: sure. You know, Bessie. Um. Be, right? Have you looked at the negotiation systems for red markets? No. Okay. Caleb wrote a system for negotiating contracts for freelancers to take jobs and how much pay they would get. So that would be one, and it uses a very objective system where the players start at one end, the, the uh, employer starts at the other end, and there's turns, like in combat. And so you make a skill check here, they make a skill check, and depending on how well you do, it depends on how much, what level of pay you get uh, for the job. Uh, and players can spend resources to investigate their their the employer to find out what their what their weak spots are, like, sort of non-linear. Yeah, aspect. yeah, yeah. So it's it's uh it's a very clever system. So like, but it's a very stylized thing for like contract negotiations. Um, so that would be one thing. Um, there are other what other uh, RPGs kind of
1: duel of wits yeah. and
0: burning wheel. If you've looked at that, so that's basically an opposed skill
1: test. Um, I agree with what you're saying. Like, I, I yeah, but they make the skill test and then they like you know walk out the door or, or you know they failed
2: and then they're like, well, we're gonna go
1: kill them anyway. Or whatever. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, yeah. They they dig in their heels. Yeah. Like players are real bad about that. R P B R. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, that's why I turned the negotiation
2: into a board game. Like it's not negotiable. But well, it's also kind of a matter of semantics, though. Right? Yeah. I mean, so the hit point thing works because it's just been around forever and people just accept it right where there's a lot of other mechanics that I've been around as long so they might be a harder sell but and I know people will bristle at this but the whole thing about like I don't like my control so if my character lies to the uh, my pc lies to another pc a lot of people believe that the player should get to choose whether they believe it or not mm-hmm. but if i my character hit them with a sword they don't get to make that choice yeah right so it seems like if your character has a negotiation skill and they fail it or the npc has a negotiation skill part of the social contract of playing just like abiding by the hit points, you know, it's, more of a, it's more of a conversation with your players than it is necessarily a need for a new mechanic. Because if they're choosing to play by some rules and not by others, it just seems an odd disconnect.
1: I, I will say, and I've talked about this before, you cannot separate the skill of rhetoric from playing an RPG. Like, I can be very bad with hitting someone with a sword, as I am. Uh, I assume I've never tried it. Maybe I'm a natural, um, <laughs> but my character can abstract that to a skill. You cannot abstract a rhetorical skill like it's just not done because you only have words to do the game. Like you can, and that's how you get like deception checks that you're just like, uh, wh- why should I let you in? I am the moon. Twenty. He is the moon. Like, uh, yeah, bone solvent. Like, yeah, you you have to. Uh, you have to at least say what the lie is. If you're going to be intimidating, it's not good role playing to be like I am intimidating. And I, I understand this is what some people do, but it's better role playing if you sound intimidating. So, uh,
2: what, but it's okay if you're not that kind of person yeah. in real life. That you just say I'm intimidating, and my character knows how to do it. I don't.
1: Yeah, but yeah, and that's fine. Uh, but it's it's probably going to make for a crappy negotiation at the table. But that's because the person is not. They have to abstract that skill. Um, so in, in Red Markets, when you have a... The main thing I do for negotiation is uh, you give space for the players that don't want to do it. So in Red Markets, you can run scams, and you, that's breaking legs and knocking it in windows to rifle through things and all your player character stuff. And they have plenty of space to do, and it's very vital to it. And then for the person who actually is there in the negotiation scene, you want to do everything you can if you're going to add a system to incentivize role playing, And so it becomes like, I want to use my intimidate skill on in this guy. I'm like, why? It's like, it's my best skill. It's like, all right, better intimidate. And then you can roll it. Like you need to say something intimidating or you need to say something persuasive um, because then that makes a better scene. But the person knows when they start a character that they're going to be the negotiator and that's what they want to do. So um, that was my problem with negotiation. It was... Not making the system that encouraged a good role-playing, I think that happened, but it was giving people who didn't want to or couldn't do it something else to do with their time. So it's not all just sit and look at the talky character talk. Um, So I think that would be more important than, like, abstracting it to hit points or something. Make sure there's space for those people who can't abstract that kind of stuff.
3: Yeah. There's
0: Uh, also
1: the
3: fix for the follow-through. The fix of the follow-through you did in Red Markets, I did in my game as well. The fix is have XP or whatever determined by following through with the negotiation.
0: Oh yeah, reward players for actually sticking to it. Yeah, yeah. there
1: are consequences for being a murderous psycho who lies and with every concept. word out of
0: your yeah. mouth. Yeah, like, yeah. That also <laughs> means that you can not do
1: something.
3: You can selectively decide to fail on a contract and take the hit because then that becomes part of the game. So yeah, that's yeah, fine. Yeah, and still
0: win. yeah. If you have, um, yeah, you did you have a question? I did. Yeah
3: say that you, you hit a point, like, alright, my game is ready, I have some kind of approval on high, and now I need to talk to true strangers, true strangers, because they need to do my art, or they need to do this, and I want to pay them, because they are doing work, but how do I find them, and how do I pay them, and how do I make sure I'm not, they're not screwing me, and I'm not screwing them?
1: Oh, good question. Um, so, you need uh, you need contracts and steps. So for, especially for art. So, uh, most of the people who have worked on red markets. I've never met face to face. Uh, they're just internet folks that I'm very lucky to find. Um, communications, everything. So if you, if you send them an email, they need to email me back within a reasonable period of time. Um, anybody who flakes is gone. I don't care how good their art is. If I talk to them and they don't talk to me for four weeks, I can't have that. Um, more
2: relationship work. Right? Yeah. it's
1: Yeah. Uh, so that's first thing. So they, you need to get along, even if it's just over email or Skype or whatever. And then you need uh, contracts. So you never pay up front for anything, ever, under any circumstances. You never give it to them another date. the uh, You have a contract. They give you a sketch. Then they get that portion of the contract. So for all of my art, I have a sketch phase. I have a final line drawing and phase. And then I have a color finished drawing phase. Uh, so I, I do it uh, 25, 25, 50. So they give me a sketch, I give notes, and then they get the sketch money. And then, worst case scenario, I have a sketch I can get another artist to clean up, and I can show them the concept. Uh, Yeah, and it's money. Uh, And then they send me that same piece with my notes in it, and then there's color values so I can look at the palette. And then, great, good job. Next 25. And then they come back with a finished piece that has full shading and all that kind of stuff, and it's in my proper... Uh, you know, margins and bleed and all the stuff I need for that and write DPI. And then you get the rest of the money for that sketch. Um, And the thing is, like when you work with the people who've been like at this point, Kim and I have been working for four or five years together on Red Markets. She was Mm -hmm. the first one I hired. And so at this point, I still write that in the contract. But I'm like, hey, you're going to turn in 20 of these at once. You just want to wait till you turn them in. And she knows I'm good for it because I paid it. And I know she's good for it because we've done it. And then it's not a worrisome, but never pay up front for anything, always split it up into milestones for the contract, and then you pay upon delivery, and then you at least have that much if they take the money and run. well, oh, well, art. I literally just, I mean, it's not that comp, but there's tons of places that. online that they have portfolios online. Yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> I just troll around
2: the internet. Finding it was uh, honestly the easiest part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The paying for it is the hard part. Um, <laughs> yeah. I always feel like
3: a psychopath being like, I know this sounds like maybe dramatic, but to like DM someone and be like, hey, could you do a thing for me?
2: All this they stuff are, is up there because they want people to contact them and buy their you, you artwork. You are a
1: pleasant person in their inbox. If you're like, hey, can you do a thing for me? I will pay you money.
3: Yeah.
1: Like I will pay you money. I won't promise you exposure. I don't want you to do it because my friend is sick or something like that. You, yeah, If you can
2: establish your own bona fides like, up front, that helps. Right? Like yeah. If you can be professional and talk about the budget that you've planned and that sort of thing. Um, that also helps if if you don't have other work to point to and say we have done this and we're going to do more of this
0: Um, a couple other things Um, start out if it's a new artist you've never or a new person you've never worked with start out with a small assignment first to see how they handle it like if they're one do what you ask and how late they are how prompt they are and like like, don't like just out of the blue assign someone like you know here's a I want you to pay you, you know, thousand dollars. to Do this cover art for a, you know a large book uh, that's very detailed and complex. Like, don't like sort of build up that relationship. Um, another thing, aside from uh, internet portfolio sites, DeviantArt, ArtStation, um, also like recommendations from people you know. Uh, also look in books that you like. Um, like look up the artists of uh, like if there's a book RPG or some game that you like with good art, look at, find out who the artist is and then Google their name and Mm -hmm. find out they probably have a portfolio site and you can probably contact them and be like, Hey, can you do this for me? So like, um, because if you want a particular art style, like it's hard to find an art style, you know, there's certain styles of art that are overrepresented on the internet. Like if you want to do something anime manga, boy, you're in luck. But like, (laughs) if you want, like, realistic architectural drawings like that's a little harder to find uh, yeah. yeah but
1: it, I mean there are internet people and most of them are very lovely as long as you're open but the one time I paid somebody up front he said hey I'm moving I could really use the money now I'm midway through this process I gave him the money for editing red markets he sent it back six months late so he had two commas worst editing job I ever had lost $300 and unless I wanted to buy a plane ticket to Australia and hunt him for sport I had no it's still an him. option. Yeah. I, I thought about You've it, got uh, but he came recommended. Yeah. <laughs> I had people tell me he was great to work with and he just took my money and run. Um, and, and that was the thing cause I didn't do uh, uh, a level contract. So when I got to work with Laura, uh, Brisk and Limehouse, uh, you know, I, I had the whole, like, you're going to show me this. I will give you notes. You will go through a second pass. After that point, I will give you the other 50% of the number. The first pass was just like, yeah, you're crap fix all of this crap that you did wrong and it's just <laughs> pages of ra- which is exactly what I wanted from an editor. It was better than I ever received from the guy who was a professional um, but I had that and now if Laura's going to do something I'll be like yeah you're right yeah here's my right and we just settle up when we're done because I know she's not going to take the money and run. Yeah. But you, you just got to have that up front to keep it yeah.
2: Everybody I've got a Blue Planet game to run at noon so I got to take off but thank you for indulging <laughs> me and Ross, <laughs> Caleb. we got, got, got a couple more in. minutes. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. yeah
0: uh thank you jeff um uh, blue planet upwind upwind's really fun by the way uh yeah. it does a really interesting um resolution system where you resolve an entire scene at once with one play with playing cards so you're like not just i want to punch the guy it's like i want to defeat all the bad guys and they're so impressed with me that they make me leader of the gang um and become good uh like yeah it's it's very yeah, fun
1: upwind is like you do a campaign in a night like yeah. you're just things other things that would take a scenario for like an entire campaign that's like a skill check and you're on to the next it, it is it's pretty nice
0: yeah you could do like a, ma- a entire chapter of massive night a little in one night so like yeah. it's 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 really good um yeah so any other questions uh for anybody yes
3: so in regards
0: to going into the publishing process and
3: looking for publishers yeah Publishers have limitations, and this is more specific to board games, people so playing games. Yeah. But it's just a book, mm-hmm. uh, so it's a lot easier to sell. Um,
0: yeah. So it, it well, it's a lot easier to make. It's not yeah, necessarily <laughs> easier to sell. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
3: yeah, I, I should have that. Uh, yeah,
0: yeah, But yeah,
3: in regards to a board game, a lot of the publishing companies will have
0: restrictions, whether it's length of game, type of game, yeah, sure. atmosphere, etc. I know for board games, one thing you have to be as a de- uh, be willing to do as a designer is to retheme it. Yeah. Like, uh, can you take these mechanics and make it zombie based or Japanese garden based yeah. or uh, historical colonial empire based or? All three, somehow.
1: That what? game that was about, like, North Korean politics that got rethemed to Animal Mafia that was tiered last year, I think.
0: Oh, was that... Wow. Originally North Korean? Nice. I can't uh. remember.
1: It was some, it was some like, obtuse, like, uh, foreign political system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Um, I will say that while publishers have those restrictions, printers often do not. Like, Panda printed my game, um, and it's about drunk ducks, and they print scythe. Like... There, like, there. My, my dumb card game about, like, what if ducks were there, there alcoholic? Is one... <laughs> and then, like, they're printing, like, the most in-love, like, famous, enormous, big-box board game ever. And they, they worked with me like I was Jamie Stegmeier, even though I'm just some random dude making a game about drug ducks. Um, so publishers yeah. will have restrictions. Most printers just have restrictions on the files need to be exactly formatted this way. It's got to come. That, that
0: their restriction. But a printer, if you're willing to pay the print costs... They don't give a damn. They don't give a damn. If you sell Actually, it. They, well, there is there is one there is one caveat to that. That is, don't make a game critical of mainland China if you're in a, yeah in China.
1: Like, that. Not there joking.
0: is that one. I'm not joking. Like uh, an RPG book was burned uh, because it was they had like oh it takes place in mainland China in the 30s and like oh well we can't have that and they like literally burned all the books. Are you gonna have to print that one yeah. in America? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So but, yeah. or not mainland? Yeah. Yeah,
1: but printers they have mechanical requirements for how formats have to be done like we can't do meeples like this because we don't have the cutter for it or we can't do, but um uh the publishers are just trying to maintain a brand um so those are two different they're actually two different issues i would say um and it just depends on what publisher you want to try and sell it to
0: yeah um yeah uh good question though but uh yeah question back there
1: One last point. sure
2: Stuff, uh, I was um, because digital is becoming so much more useful, because you don't have to ship uh, items as much. Is it really that beneficial to kind of print uh, a book nowadays, or is there some hidden you know?
0: Um, okay, so the question is about the difference between print on demand versus uh, the other option is called offset. Uh, doing an offset print run, which is printing a whole bunch of books at once. Um, if you're or doing, not making a physical book at all. Yeah, PDFs, yeah, oh, yeah. PDFs. Okay. Um, well, I mean, a lot of people prefer physical books. Uh, just uh, I know I do when I'm running a game because it's quicker to thumb through a book or put bookmarks in to like find a reference to a rule or something than it is a PDF. Uh, PDFs can be really well bookmarked and indexed, and if you have a good laptop and you're comfortable doing that, that's great. Um, Adam Jerry Posthuman Studios does a great job of marking up all the Eclipse Phase PDFs like that, and some other publishers do too. Um, but just in general, like uh, if you want like a hardcover or full color book, full color interior illustrations, you need to do an offset print run um, because the costs are not scalable for print on demand. So if you're doing black and white um, softcover books, then do definitely do print on demand. But if you're doing um, full color anything and or hardcover anything, you need to do uh, an offset print run, which requires warehousing, shipping, all that rigmarole. I mean, there is
1: yeah. nothing involving making a physical product. That is not a headache. Every, yeah. every part of it is a pain in the butt. Every part of it costs more money than it should. Um, PDFs have zero overhead. You just, they're done and you sell them infinitely. Uh, and there's that. But I will say this: you cannot make a print product in the modern day without having a PDF support. It's, that's just suicide.
0: You cannot yeah. not do that. Don't be that.
1: However, If you make a PDF-only product, while that may sell, there is a section of the market you will never reach. And I am it, because I want pretty pages in my hand that I can flip through. I have an iPad. I've got dozens of PDF games on there. I only read them when I cannot find a physical copy anywhere, and only then begrudgingly, and I rarely run them. I want a big physical book. Um, So, yeah, if you're going to do print, you have to have PDF. You can do PDF only, but there's going to be a section of your... I like the book. If, as a
0: physical object. You're never going to reach. If you uh, if you do uh, if you want to do a PDF game, you might as well also do print on demand because print on demand won't have any uh, real cost to you other than the cost of setting other up other
1: than what they're taking out of the margins.
0: Yeah, uh, well, uh, which is not yeah, it's just reduce pro- profit, but also like the cost of setting up those files for that, which is yeah, that's just labor. So um,
1: and we've never been compensated for labor. This is RPGs. Yeah.
0: Um. So just yeah, do print plus print on demand. That that you're not really sacrificing anything for that. And you don't have to worry about warehousing. You don't have to worry about shipping. Um it's just it's just gonna be a soft cover black and white book. because um, someone else does that out for you. So you don't make much money, but you're doing a PDF product anyway. So like uh yeah. Yeah, we should go. Uh anyways, yeah. Uh if you have other questions, uh you can come and talk to us in the hallway. Thank you guys uh, for coming. Thank we you. Really all
1: appreciate it. Yep. Bye.